part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, it is good to see you again. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different today. But if you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It talks about how we have been reconciled through to God through Jesus Christ. And now he's extended to us this ministry of reconciliation. And this ministry of reconciliation has so many different levels. But instead of trying to do just, an ex, you know, exposing that and, and really kind of uh, getting on that one verse and, and looking at all the nuances of it, I do want to talk about this morning the four seasons of marriage. You know, marriage is a lot like weather in Georgia. It's one of those, you know, it's pretty out today, and, and yet tomorrow they said that there's going to be a storm, maybe ice and all that, and it's kind of unpredictable. You just don't know what's coming around the corner. And even though you may have been married for a long time, it, there's a lot of things that uh, are, are very unique to your marriage, but there's also some things that we just begin to see as we look at marriage in general of seasons that we go through. But first, I, I just want to do a real quick survey. If you are married, uh, you don't have to have your spouse here today, but if you're married, would you stand this morning? Just kind of want to get a grip on, okay? If you've been married for more than five years, remain standing, okay? Okay. That, that's, that's a number you should know, guys, okay? Uh, if more than 10 years, remain standing. More than 10 years, okay? Let me just go ahead and jump up to, to uh, 20. You know, we'll take a big block there, okay? 25, that's a pretty important one. 30. 35, 40, okay, 44 here, no, that's that good, no, it's why, wisdom, wisdom is what it is, it's not older, it's wisdom, 47 and 20 months, well, give them a hand, guys. They may be the ones that smile the most this morning because I, I promise you, you know, we're not trying to make fun of marriage. We're not certainly, it's, as we've said, it is a gift of God. And it is something that I think that we treat way too lightly as it is. We don't treat it in the spiritual nature that it really has. And, and so we're not trying to make fun of marriage. And yet when we look at marriage, guys, it really is it's, it's kind of a funny thing. You either have to cry about it or you've got to laugh about it sometimes. And this morning we're going to go through four different seasons that every marriage in some capacity will probably go through. And it may be one of those where you just go through that stage maybe one time and never return again. It may be um, one thing that you learn in counseling over the last 33 years doing a lot of marriage counseling. We are much more cyclical people than we think we are. Uh, there are cycles in our lives. There are cycles in marriage. And, and people, you know, as I sit down there going, you know, we really do good for three months and or six months, and then we go through this little rough spot, and we kind of work that out, and then, you know, six months later, here we are, and, and they tell that story, and they said it's been going on now for 10 years, 12 years, or 15 years. And so this morning, we want to expose some of those things of these seasons of lives and see that they're not, un, you know, they're not out of the ordinary. They're not, you know, maybe common to all folks, but that they are common, and that there are answers. And it's all going to center back to the hope that we have and what we've been preaching for the last three weeks that the hope that we have for the gospel coming alive in our marriage, that is having a very Christ-centered marriage. Because I don't care if you come this morning and you are, I mean, have no hope for your marriage. If you have despair in Christ Jesus, there can be that hope. 
And he gave the same hope where he brought from me from a point of death, spiritual death to life. And he can do that in marriage. Does that mean that every marriage works out? No, unfortunately, it really is one of those sad confrontations that we have kind of in marriage counseling that we know that we can have a very willing party on one side and, and another party not so willing. And, and so that's where it gets a little contentious. It gets a little frustrating because you do want the very best for every single person. This morning, we're going to go through four seasons of marriage. We're going to start with the, the youngest, and, and we were probably all there. Some of us may not remember that, but it's the season of romance. And it's when we were dating and courting, and then maybe those first years, what we call that honeymoon period. And everything was intense. Remember those days? And it's like, you know, you're talking to, especially if you were dating, and you are not just, you know, able to see each other every day because you're in college and different colleges or something like that. And you'd call each other and you'd be on the phone and to, the, to the darkness of night. Well, and, and you didn't want to say goodbye. Well, I love you. Well, I love you more. Well, I love you more. And you didn't want to hang up. You know, it was one of those. And, and now that we've been married for a long time, it's going, really? We were like that? But we were. Remember those days? And you just didn't want to be the one to hang up. And you didn't want to be, you know, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. (laughs) Everything was intense. It was like a a two-liter bottle of Coke that somebody shook for about ten minutes. That, that, That was your life. And there was excitement. There was that attraction. Everything was bigger than life. And it's like one of those pictures. Now, Lee, you're you're a photographer. You do a lot of photography. And, And there's that artful technique of focusing on that flower and then fading everything else in the background is kind of just out of focus. You can kind of see it, but your subject is that rose right there. So you kind of get the, the camera lens focused on that, and then everything else is still there, but it's just kind of out of focus. Well, that's young love. Remember when you were like that? It was you and her. I mean, it was you, and, and everything was, every, parents family, everybody else was there, schoolwork, job, all those things were there. But your focus was so much on each other that everything else was just kind of a blur in the background. Folks, that was a good stage. Does it last forever? It's not that it can't, but most of the time it can't. You know, it's one of those things where we're following people in a fallen world. We, 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 we're selfish in that core nature. And even though when Christ comes in and saves us, he, he can help us to get out of that selfishness. And yet at the end of the day, there, there is, especially over time, that base nature that we still contend with. And unfortunately, that will probably uh, contend with to the day that, uh, that we go see him in glory. But I remember those early years. And when I would do counseling, when I first got into ministry, I used to do between 8 and 10 pre-marriage counseling uh, classes before I would, you know, promise to, to, to do their wedding. And now I do four. You might go, okay, why? There's more need than ever, Pastor. You know, why do you less? Because they weren't here. And it was going in one ear and out the other. Because here's the look that you would get. Hey, Pastor, my mom and dad need that, but we don't. And do you remember when you were at that element of stage where you really thought that you had reinvented love? I mean, it... The, the ones, we'll go to the clouds back here. Okay, you've been married 47 years. Do you remember? And maybe y'all are still at that stage that you have totally reinvented love, you know. The, the, but do you remember that age in your life? Cleve, you know, you said what, yours was 44 years? 44 years. And you had reinvented life. Nobody, nobody had loved like you. Your parents, they were in love, but not the kind of love that you had. 
Well, folks, every one of us kind of go through that. I, I've noticed that not just with one or two couples. I've noticed that with thousands of couples over these years. And it's one of those things, it's not a bad thing, but it's unrealistic because it really doesn't last forever. It's the freshness of that. It's one of those things that, um, you know, we, we just haven't had the realities of, of some of those other things yet. And even when we have those little bumps along the road, one thing that I've asked couples when they're, uh, when they're about to get married and they've been dating year, two years, three years, have you had any good fights yet? And they kind of look and they're going, you know, well, we just don't fight. And I said, well, then you're probably not ready to get married. And they kind of give you this look like, you know what? I said, because, you know, the, the element isn't to not have fights as much as it is to be able to have those bumps in the road and to get through those things. And you learn a lot about people and their reactions to things when you actually have some of uh, those things you don't agree upon. And there will be that stage of every marriage where you just see things a little bit differently. And, and at those times when you see things differently, can you work through those? But in those initial years, you know, it's one of those things where you're going, okay, well, that was just a little squabble. We didn't really fight. And then, I mean, within 30 minutes, we're still the best couple ever. You know, it's just you're back to that kind of idolistic kind of thought that, you know, you have reinvented love. Uh, it's amazing to me that even the most unromantic people are kind of romantic during this season of life. I mean, even things like poetry. I've never been a big poet person, but you know, I can imagine there was a day in time that you know, roses are red, violets are blue. You know, you know the, the, that was you know a, a part of the whole courting process. This stage also in, in, um, kind of comes with a lot of compromise that you're willing to give because you love that person, and so you don't want to be disagreeable. I, I used to always tell everybody. I mean, my wife is the most godly woman that I know, uh, my hero. And uh, but early in marriage, it was one of those. She was just very compliant. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. Okay, give her some teeth. Give her just just some. Now I pray just the opposite. Father, give her some, you know, some ability to to kind of give a little once in a while back to the, you know, the things that I want. Because in that maturity of understanding more and more of what she really wanted, there wasn't that compromise. And a lot of times that was good. But then other times it was because we were both owning who we were becoming. Some for the good, not all for the good. What we begin to see in in this stage is a lot of cuteness. And don't you wish that life could just be cute? I mean, let's be realistic. Don't you wish that life and marriage could just be cute? But it's not always cute. Uh, We even developed during this stage a lot of those little names for one another. I actually looked up and saw what are the top names that people have. And uh, uh, number one was Babe, uh, Baby, Babe, uh, Sweetheart, Honey, Hun, uh, Sweetie, you know, variations of that, Darling, or if you're from the South, Darling, you know, uh, Pumpkin, Boo. Boo actually made the chart. I was proud to see that Boo made it. Sugar, you know, those kind of things. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody for your sweet little, you know, name from one another, but, but they're probably not. Every, these are the ones that just, you know, as you're passing by the day, hey, hey, honey, can you pick that up or can you do this? But you probably have some other names, you know, just for one another that are, are beyond this and maybe not ready for primetime TV here. Uh, but it's one of those, those are the intimacies. That's the stage where everything's kind of working together and there's a lot of compromise 
And it's one of those that you just think it's going to last forever. Question number one this morning, does it last forever? It's okay to say no. (laughs) Now, this is the time when everything is ideal. But there's another season, and none of these are necessarily where you have to go through them in, in line. None of these are, are okay, you, if you go to through season one, you have to go through season two next. But these are all seasons in our lives because the second one that comes up in our lives is not the season of romance, but the, the season of reality. And all of a sudden, uh, things being everything is idea, everything has become an ordeal. Have you ever been at that place in, in your marriage? Where it seems like, we just can't agree upon anything. And it may be a day, a week, or just a little phase that you're going through. But you go, it seems like you're fighting more than you are, you know, enjoying each other's company. And and a lot of folks go through that, and they're not prepared for that because they really think that everything would stay in that idea stage. And this is one of those things that we begin to see the reality of that person. See, when we're dating or recording, we kind of, you know, we make sure that our teeth are brushed, that our home home hair, if we had some, was combed and, and that we do all the nice things. But unfortunately, sometimes we relax in marriage. Would you agree that sometimes we relax? And, and I don't know that biblically we should relax. I think we should be courting all of our lives. I think we should be loved unconditionally and it shouldn't be based on that. But I think, you know, Christ very much would, would want us to always, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5, I, I should be courting my li- wife and respecting her and doing those things. And yet there's a season of reality, warts and all. And here's the thing that happens a lot of times. The very thing that attracted us during the courting stage and the dating stage becomes becomes an aggravation in this stage of marriage. For example, maybe you start dating a guy and you're going, he is laid back, he's that top pitcher up there. I just love Fred because Fred is laid back. He's just kind of free-spirited. It's like nothing bothers him. And four years into the marriage, Fred is just a bum. He's lazy. Free-spirited, no. He has no gumption at all. And in, those, in that dating age, you know, you saw that because maybe you were from a very organized home. And so Fred was so attractive because it was like, you know, he'll just, you know, hey, you want to go to Alaska tomorrow? You know, he'll just spring upon you all this, you know, things that don't make sense where your family that you came from never would have done that. And so you see this free spirit, you're attracted, and then all of a sudden you find out four or five years into marriage, ten years into marriage, that that free spirit, it really has another side to it. It's called Fred won't get off the couch. The very thing I was talking about, Carly, and I love that very compliant spirit. And then, you know, after being married is one of those things I'm going, okay, but I do want her to have that gumption. I want her to be able to speak her mind. Why? Because we're helpmates, and I need her to, to do that. And, and I joke about, you know, now I wish that she was more submissive. No, if I understand biblically what we're supposed to be in this partnership, I need her to be the full woman of God that God has called her to be, And that actually benefits me. Sometimes it's going to mean that she's going to see things coming that I did not see. That she's going to give a word of correction that I need to hear. And she's going to do it maybe in a loving way that I wouldn't accept it from anybody else. See, that's the hard thing about marriage, folks. Because of the intimacy, because of the intimacy level, there's more exposure there. That's why I need her to be my biggest cheerleader and I should be her biggest cheerleader in life. At the same time, there are times that her words can hurt more than anybody else's. 
I can walk away from a boss at work that says, you just didn't get the job done. If my wife says, Bobby, you're just not getting the job done, I am a crushed man. And so it's this two-edged sword. And during this stage of life, you know, yeah, we begin to find out some of these realities. We begin to see that, you know, everything's not uh, like we thought. But now we have to deal with that reality. There's a time in marriage where instead of uh, we go from a time of great uh, uh, compromise to a season of competition. And, and we're in dating, we, you know, oh, where do you want to go eat? Well, wherever you want to go. And, and that's probably still a dilemma five years, 10 years, 15 years into the marriage. But other things that are kind of just that, you know, not that competitive, also become competitive. And during this stage, it's one of those things where instead of the bathroom mirror saying, you know, cutesy little things like, you know, I love you. I mean, not that everybody, anybody ever did that, but remember that stage of marriage? I love you. Love you too. Love you more. That the, you know, you still get the sticker on the mirror, but it says this. Now, ladies, let me, let me tell you something about the fancy. You're going, but I made it real pretty. And I put dots there, and it wasn't just don't forget the dress. I, I made it real pretty. No, we don't see any of those dots as a guy. We see one thing. I'm here to be the trash man. You know, it doesn't say I love you. It says don't forget to take out the trash. And it's probably there because what happened last week? I forgot to take out the trash. Do you understand that part? Of, I mean, it, it, there's a funny part of that, but there's a serious side that when you get into that stage of marriage, when the reality is that it's not just all 100% wedded bliss and the honeymoon period is over and the realities of life have come in, and especially when you have kids and, and kids begin to add to that part of your life and they can be the biggest blessings, but, but kids can add a lot of stress too. And so it's one of those things that life gets very, very complex. And everything that was, uh, you know, seemed exciting before becomes very normal. It, it, it's like that two-liter gal- uh, two uh, Coke that you shook up. But what happens to Coke when that same two-liter bottle, if you just take the top off and you lay it out there for two hours, five hours, overnight, come back the next morning, pour a little cup of Coke there, it's flat. Folks, that happens in marriage. And I think where Satan really plays upon that is not so much that that's not a reality, but that somehow we expect that that's not going to happen to us. Because remember, we were that couple that said, it happens to everybody else, but it doesn't happen to us. And the reality is, I don't care if it's the best marriage and the people that just love Jesus well and, and, and Christ well, there's going to be times when, when marriage goes from this great blessing to sometimes a burden. Now, why is it that way? Because we are fallen people in a fallen world. Even though Christ now lives in our heart and I have this whole new life in Christ, I still have to contend with what the Bible says is the old man. But we even see this in the life of the Bible. Solomon, remember Solomon? What's the one thing that you remember about Solomon from the Bible? Wise. Wisest guy, you know, he's very rich, but, uh, you know, when he was young, uh, he was taking over the, the kingdom, 
And God says, well, what is it that you want me to grant you? And, and he said, you know, I, I want wisdom so that I can lead these great people. So he could have asked for all these other things. He asked for wisdom. And out of that wisdom, he did become very rich and all these wonderful things. And yet when we look at the writings of Solomon, we begin to see these seasons of marriage. When he was early in his marriage, uh, we believe that he wrote Song of Solomon. And Song of Solomon is beautiful. It is romantic. Uh, it, and there's a couple parts of Song of Solomon that I turn red, even though it's the Word of God, because it's, it's kind of like, man, that's almost risque. That's like, you know, really intimate. But in Song of Solomon, in chapter 4, verse 1, he's talking about his bride, and, he's, and, and there's a parallel of Christ in all of this. Christ in the church is the backstory of that. But Solomon is, is, is talking about his bride, and look what he says, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. If he was from the south, he would say, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending upon my... Now, time for, for true honesty. How many of y'all get a Valentine's card this morning that said that? Honey, your hair is like descending, what, goats descending from Mount Gilead. I bet none of you were knocked off your feet this morning, ladies, with that kind of sentiment. And then, <laughs> but it gets better. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 2. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn, uh, sheep just shorn. Now, I like this part. Coming up from the wash... Each one has a twin. None of them are alone. You know what he's saying? You got all your teeth. <laughs> Honey, I love you. You, you, got, you got this one and this one and this one and this one. You got all your teeth. Now, that's love. That's the early stages of love. By the time we get down, and, and look, he kind of sums it up in verse 7. Look what he says. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Now, that will make a Valentine's card, won't it? Well, Solomon, this great romantic that writes this beautiful stuff to his wife, also wrote the majority, if not all, of Proverbs. He may have collected some of that wisdom from other people, and and he had the discernment of knowing what wise sayings were. So he probably wrote 99% of Proverbs. And it, but if he did kind of gather, it was still under his kind of discretion what went into this book of Proverbs. And, and we can tell that this is probably a little bit later on in marriage that, that Solomon wrote this. Proverbs 27, verse 15 and 16. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a raining day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil in my hand. Now, Ricky, where did this whole, there is no flaw. You are, you know, you got all your teeth, your hair's like goat, and, and you're just, you're the love of my life. And yet, look what he writes. Look down, Proverbs 21, 9. Better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now, remember, Middle Eastern roofs, they, they kind of had the inside, and because of the way that they were built, a lot of times they would have, uh, uh, you know, an upper deck, if you want to say, and, and they would spend some time. So he said, you know, sometimes in marriage, I, I prefer kind of being up there and sleeping there than downstairs where everything else is. Uh, at least in the same house. 
Look a couple verses down. Look at verse 19. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome or intemperate wife. He's not even at home anymore. He said, you know, it's better to be out there (laughs) parched in the desert. Now, folks, here's the thing. Here's the reality. We either have been there for a day, a week, a month, a season. We are going to be there. It's not so much that we can avoid some of that, that all of a sudden things just kind of go flat. That's the peculiarity of this human flesh, this tent that we live in, because we're not perfected yet. I believe that you have a heart and a desire to live for Jesus Christ. And yet, do you live for Christ 100% every day? No, it's not because you don't aspire to. It's because, you know, we still have to contend with this old flesh. Theologically, we are totally, it's dead and it's gone. And yet, practically, we still are selfish. We can be prideful. We can be quarrelsome. We can be all these different things. We're moody. We have ups and we have downs. So, so this is a reality that, that we have to understand is going to be in every one of our marriages. And it's not that we celebrate those, but it's that we recognize that these are parts. And that's where this covenant love that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is so important. Because there's a third season in a lot of marriages. Not every marriage, but there's a third season. And a lot of this happens either practically or it happens sometimes emotionally. It's a season of rethinking. And it's not a time where things are ideal. It's not a time when it's so much just an ordeal. But it's where you begin to look for a new deal. It's a dangerous place of of, of every life and every marriage. It, It begins with things like, well, I'm just not happy. Or the one, uh, again, I I hope I always give you compassion as I would counsel you, uh, but the one that just, if I wince, if you ever say this in my presence, understand it's because I think it has no biblical basis whatsoever. Well, I love him, I love her, but I'm just not in love with him anymore. Never in this covenant of marriage did God say, well, you only do it because it makes you happy or because you're in love. How many times has God looked upon me in my current estate, and I am not lovely to him. And yet his covenant is, I will remain faithful, even though, Bobby, you've been unfaithful. And I will love you and see you as beautiful, even though you are really not that beautiful in the way that you act. See, in this season of marriage, this is a crucial point, folks. When we get to this place, and sometimes we even hide it with a little bit of martyrdom. Well, I know you're not happy, and I want you to be happy, so, so you, just, you go on your own way. Folks, that, none of that's biblical. It may, you, know, you may try, to, but we're going to stay together for the kids, then we're going to do We're going to talk about that in just a second. Is, is that a value? Is that not a value? But this happens in almost every marriage. If you're going to be married over a long period of time, it's going to happen either in a practical sense, that there's a reality that you're in this season, or it's going to happen in the mind or in the heart. For a fleeting moment, for a fleeting hour, for a fleeting day, it's going to happen. Where you begin to actually consider what would life be like if you weren't married. Now again, it doesn't happen to every single one. I I can promise you those first two seasons happen to every marriage. I've never seen a marriage where they did not go through that. You don't have to go through this one, but this is one that does happen, unfortunately, to, to a lot of marriages where you get to that point where you're just really wondering, 
And the key here, folks, is not so much avoiding this season of marriage, but understanding how do we survive this season of marriage. Do you see the difference there? One is, okay, we just, you know, we're going to love each other so well that we're never going to get there. Uh, that's great, and I, that's, uh, we should aspire to that. But the reality is that we may actually get here. And so how do we handle this biblically? How do we handle this in a Christ-like reflection? Well, there's three different th- ways that you can respond. When you get to this crossroads, when you're actually in the back of your mind, in the back of your heart, even for a fleeting moment thinking, okay, am I thinking of a new deal? Am I actually starting to, to even think of what life would be like outside this marriage? There's three different ways that we can react. First one, that we go ahead and just look for the new deal. That's what culture would say. You're not happy. You're not in love. You just, you just go, God wants you to be happy, right? There's a verse for that. No, there's not. There's, there's not a verse for that, guys. And, and so we can listen to culture and we look for, um, you know, a new deal. We barely run. Average marriage, 7.2 years. Or, or the, you know, when divorce enters into life, 7.2 years. And uh, usually there's this perception that a new person uh, will bring about new things, like a new freedom, a, a new peace, different things in our lives. And a lot of times that, that's really just based on a lie. Now, if you're here today and, and you're, you've had another marriage, uh, you're now either divorced or you uh, are in another marriage, please do not hear this as judgment whatsoever. Please do not hear this as judgment. Nobody knows the circumstances you're in. Nobody knows the state of your heart, your mind, your walk with Christ, or anything like that. I will never judge another person because I can see that, oh, that's not the path I wanted you to take. No, I sin every day, unfortunately. But what we do want to know is not, you know, it's not that we're trying to reserve judgment. What we're trying to do is say, okay, these are real feelings that, are, that could come upon any marriage that's in here. And so when that happens in our lives, what do we do? How do we react? So the first one is that we just go with the feeling. We go ahead and look for the new deal. Second reaction is that we just settle for the old deal. Hey, I guess that's what marriage turned out to be. We're not as compatible as we thought. We're maybe not as heroic as we thought we were. I thought I was getting free spirit. I'm getting somebody lazy. Uh, you know, this, but, you know, I don't believe in divorce. We're going to stay together for the kids. And so let's just, we're just going to settle for the old deal. Folks, I do not believe that that is biblical. Now, hear me out on this. I hear very carefully. I'm not saying go get a divorce. What I'm saying is don't, please don't ever just stay together for the kids. Your children deserve a mommy and a daddy that are in love. Well, Pastor, that's been a long time ago since we really loved one another. That's why you need Christ. See, all this comes back to what we've been talking about. This is all centered on the gospel, folks. He puts love where you didn't think there could be love anymore. He puts forgiveness where you didn't think that there could be forgiveness. He puts a union not just to settle for the old deal, but to be renewed and to rejoice and to make things new again. That's what he did with us. He didn't just kind of save the old Bobby and say, okay, you continue on. No, he totally made me a new creation. You know what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17? That we're all new creations in Christ. When we trust in Christ and we put our, our life in him and trust the gospel, what he's done, that he died for us and, and now he lives us, that we're brand new creations. 
And why, first and foremost, that is to deal with us in a personal way of salvation. That is hope for a marriage. Because that's where we see this verse. I told you before, look up 2 Corinthians 5.18. Verse 17 is this whole new creation in Christ. This is what he's done. But look what it says in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. That not only did he reconcile this old sinner to to, to a, a holy and perfect God, that now he's called us into this ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? It means that every one of us are ministers. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to get in front and preach on a Sunday morning. But that if you're a Christian here this morning, you have been called into a ministry of reconciliation. And I cannot think of a more important place that that would occur than between husband and wife, the primary earthly relationship. And then with children and with family and friends. But the only way that we have that is through the hope of the gospel. The only hope that I have to stand before a holy God one day is because of the work of Christ for me on my behalf. I promise you that a lot of times when we get into that third stage of marriage, if it does come and visit and we're actually thinking in our heart or our mind, I think maybe life would be better without this. The only hope that we have is the gospel. That God can't just make us, you know, heroic enough to stay in that marriage and settle for that, but that he actually renews and reinvigorates that marriage. I I love what Chip Ingram says in, in a book that he wrote. It's called Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships. He says, you know, we've been taught that the way to find marital bliss is this three, these three steps. Find the right person, fall in love, Fix your hopes and dreams on this person for your fulfillment. He says, that's what we've been taught. That's what the culture has taught us. Find the right person, fall in love, and then they're going to make you happy for the rest of your life. The problem with you get to that point three and you're not happy anymore, the world says, okay, then just redo the whole deal. Go find another person, fall in, fall in love, and, and Try to find your happiness there. That's not what the Bible says, and that's what God has told us to do. Here's what the Bible tells us to do. Become the right person through Christ. Secondly, walk in the love and the forgiveness that you've received in Christ and extend that to your spouse. And then third, serve your spouse as Christ served the church. That's the biblical model. It doesn't say go find a new deal. What it says is, okay, you deal with the deal that you have. And that there's a hope there. It's not just a tolerance. I would want every one of our marriages to be marriages of celebration and not marriages of toleration. Will there be days of toleration? You better believe it. Let's just be realist. There's days that we just, you know, the best we can do is to tolerate. But I would hope that that's few and far between. And I would hope that the celebration of marriage comes back and that we don't don't live out this Christian life as people of toleration, but people of celebration. And that's kind of the goal there. Last stage, real quickly, uh, season of renewal. When things were not ideal, but they turned into an ordeal, you began to look for a new deal. This is where you come back and you say, no, I sealed the deal. I'm not going anywhere. 
I took that covenant seriously. And things are not where they should be, but before the God that I serve and the covenant that he has kept with me and the power of that, I give myself to you. That's all we can do, guys. We just seal the deal. And it's amazing when we close that door. I tell people all the time, man, I hear a little, this door to your freedom to get out of this marriage, you're cracking that door, you kind of open that door, there's a little glimmer of light on the other side that you think is so wonderful. I said, slam that door, lock the door, and throw the key away. And, and folks, that, you know, that is, please, if you are here and you've been through that, and, and that's not the, the path that you took at that time, this is not judgment to you. I'm just trying to show you, show you this wonderful way that God has for us so that in the marriage that you're in now, that, that this, you can have this, that you can have this, and you can celebrate this. How do we do it? It's only through Christ. Uh, there's a lot of good people here this morning. A lot of wonderful people. Hey, you want to know how to do a, a Valentine's? I didn't think I would do this, Wayne, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. You know how to do Valentine's? Wayne will give you the directions, okay? You cook this wonderful steak. You got brownies. You got, I mean, you hit it out of the park the other night. A lot of good men. A lot of good women here. But folks, none of us, none of us are so good that the offenses of the other can't drive us away at a time of weakness, a time of repetitiveness, where they're just, you know, that that little bit of glimmer that we thought was going to happen, and it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But there is hope in Christ. And and so uh, for those that have been in a previous marriage or you've been in a previous situation, I'm not so much reflecting back as wanting to reflect forward. Does that make sense? Because maybe you're in a new place in Jesus Christ. Maybe you didn't have that hope of Christ before, but now you have the hope of Christ. And with the hope of Christ, we can have this season of renewal where we just say, okay, I seal the deal. Things are not perfect, and they won't be perfect until I see him face to face, but I seal the deal. How do we do it? Let me give you four things just to, uh, to, to do this week that, that help us. Attention. Attention says you matter. Adjustments. Here, compromise. Here, it doesn't have to be my way all the time. You did that early in your dating life. I guarantee you there was a lot of compromise, and we kind of get stoic the more that we're in in a marriage sometimes. And so it comes back to adjustments and uh, affection. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about how important intimacy is. And we can't even say that word without thinking in a sensual, sexual way. It is that, but it's so much more than that. God designed it to be so much more than that. And there's intimacy that comes from trust and that trust of the covenant relationship. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. And then affirmation. Call me needy. I need this woman to pat me on the back sometimes. I need to hear from her what nobody else could say and whisper in my ear that would bring joy to my heart. And it's probably the same for her. (laughs) I hope it's the same for her. And so I don't care how many attaboys you're getting at work. I don't care how many you're just knocking out of the park and all the other places. God designed for this intimate relationship of marriage to be a place where the the majority of your affirmation comes from. And you're just cheering each other on. 
Because I don't know about you, but just in the weekly walking of life, I need to be cheered. Not, not for a self-fulfilling way, not in a prideful way. It just gets discouraging, guys. Life is tough. Marriage is tough. But Christ is sufficient. And that's the gospel hope. He reconciled us, and it's that model of reconciliation that he said has, is really a picture now of marriage. Not marriage being a picture, I mean, not the gospel being a picture of marriage, but the other way around. We saw that last week. He says, I just want you to know, man, what Christ has done, you have better understanding now, past Ephesians chapter 5 about marriage than you ever did, than Moses, Moses and, and David and, and Noah and all these other people. They had some understanding of marriage, but you have the fullness of understanding because of the work of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Father, thank you that we can laugh at one another and, and each other and ourselves. But Father, at the same time, I realize that there's a serious nature to this and that, Father, as we go through these seasons, Father, I, I would pray that we would enjoy those times. I, I want my daughter, my future son-in-law that's sitting right here, I want them to have that first stage. I really want them to have that, 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 that feeling like nothing in the world could ever rob them of their joy. At the same time, Father, I want them to be prepared for the reality that comes whenever it might come into their lives. And Father, for those couples here today that are in that place of reality and, and wondering how do we handle this, Father, I pray that you would drive them back to your word and their relationship with you. Father, for any marriages today that they're thinking of uh, just the possibility of a new deal, Father, I pray that they would slam that door shut. And Father, that they would say that it's not just kind of staying in because of religious belief. It's not just staying in for the kids. That, Father, you have something far better for them. You have renewal. You have reconciliation. You have restoration and hope through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray today on this Valentine's Day that, that we as married couples say, we just seal the deal. We just seal the deal. That we will work through difficulties. We will work through the obstacles because we know that there's a glory and a reflection of the gospel that is at stake here. And ultimately, our joy will come in the covenant that God has designed marriage to be. So Father, will you help us? We are so weak. We are prideful. We are selfish. Father, will you, will you save our marriages in the way that you saved us? And Father, will you put the gospel, the hope of the gospel, at the very center of everything that we do? First and foremost, Father, our marriage. We love you and we thank you. And Father, now we just uh, we celebrate the love that you've given us on this Valentine's Day as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.com dot org or find us on Facebook.